Welcome to Emgo Radio 8.0, the beginning of the 2022 season. I'm Brian Cook. Hello. Here's Alex Drain. Uh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> you, you, can, you can talk, man. It's off, right. to a, <laughs> off to a stirring start. And Seth Fisher. I'm ready to go. I've right. fall camped. The, the competition well is, is tight here. Here, I... Okay. <laughs> Michigan is going to fall start on its first uh, snap, and we all know why and so we're we're working through our uh, early camp issues right now first of all we'd like to thank underground printing for making this all possible ugp makes custom apparel such as t-shirts and sweatshirts and was founded by two michigan alums over 20 years ago they have three retail locations in ann arbor and offer thousands of university of michigan athletic products for sale ranging from clothing to accessories and memorabilia check them out at ugpmichiganapparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the mgoblogstore.com and let's not forget our associate sponsors, sponsors Peak Wealth Management, Home Shore Lending, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grant, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Prentice 4M, and we are coming to you via Signal Wire. All right. The Rams of Colorado have a new coach, Jay Norvell. Colorado State. After, Colorado, Colorado State. State. Thank you. <laughs> after uh, Dazio in, inexplicably flamed out uh, with a team that couldn't do offense. And uh, we've talked about this a couple times now, but they seem to have imported Nevada, which is Jay Norvell's old school, almost uh, wholesale. Uh, well, 11 players. So technically you could field an entire team with the guys that they took. Uh, what they are fielding are two guard, or sorry, the center, the guard, uh, the two starting wide receivers, the quarterback, the backup running back, the entire special teams unit, and the only halfway decent player in the secondary. Yeah, I mean, that uh, is pretty much <laughs> quite a haul for modern college football. I mean, it's really kind of the example of the modern tra uh, coaching change, right? The the coach brings basically everybody with him. And what was interesting for me going through the positional groups in the preseason was, especially a wide receiver, you have a hodgepodge of Nevada guys on one hand and Colorado State guys on the other, and how they divvy up snaps between the scraps of the Adazio team and then the Norvell transfers, I think will be interesting. Yeah, well, there... Yeah, this, sorry, go ahead. This is, a, I think, a 30-point spread, so there's not a whole lot of faith in Colorado State out there amongst the betters, and got a new coach integrating a new system. You don't really know what to expect, which I guess is a disadvantage for Michigan. Um, <clears throat> but this does not on paper look like a team that should be competitive. Not the first week. I mean, like they, I think like they probably could be like a seven win team, like over the course of the season. Now, like they imported enough on offense because Clay Millen was the guy that was going to start. He wasn't starting yet, but he was the guy that you're grooming to start. And it's a air raid offense. So like you don't really need the, I mean, offensive line is not like completely unnecessary, but less necessary than other systems. Cause the whole idea is getting the ball out of there before anyone can even get to you. Um, and he's got his, uh, he's got two receivers from Nevada and they actually left a couple of good receivers for him too. Uh, plus a couple tight ends. I, I, they had Trey McBride last year, who was like the entire offense for them. He was the first tight end taken in the draft. Uh, and, but Tanner, uh, Tanner Arkin is the, um, He's only got one catch for nine yards. And for some reason, the people in the Mountain West voted him first team preseason Mountain West. So I, I don't really know what's going on there. Maybe people pay attention wow. so badly that they just, you know, okay, you know. But, um, you know, they, they are talking about him a lot in camp. Uh, Clay Millen won the job immediately. There was no question whether he was going to be the starter. And the receivers that they brought back, 
Uh, Melquan Stovall is more than just a air raid little slot. He's 5'8", 185, but the guy can move. He hurdles fools. He's, you know, he does. He makes a lot of plays downfield in traffic. Okay, so just from the perspective of a Michigan fan, <clears throat> what are we looking at? What What do you think we can take away from this game? Like, which Colorado State players are going to be matched up against which Michigan players? Michigan players that would actually give you some sort of indication that when we get to Maryland and Iowa, that some of our questions about the team evolved. It's kind of a Western Michigan game last year. Like, remember, like they had the one slot receiver, and like, okay, can we cover the slot receiver? Right. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> yeah. Which so, which Michigan players are actually going to get tested? I mean, Rod Moore, maybe. Um, okay. Because you know they, you have to run your own system. You can't, you can't approach the air raid like I'm going to do something weird. Uh, I also really want to see what happens with you know, uh, is Mozzie Smith really going to get upfield? Like the this, it has to work if it's going to work, right? So like that, this, that this test, this level is, you know, can we get pressure up the middle? Because if we can't get any pressure, then that's really bad for the rest of the season. Um, can the the linebackers, you know, I think they're going to start Kalel Mullings in this game because uh, Nikai Hill Green's hurt. So, you know, what does he look like out there? Because the, you know, Air Raid likes to mess with your linebackers too. And they, they will run a quarter of the time. It's not like they just don't know how to run, period. They just pass a lot. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the corners are going to get out there. I, I don't know if we have to learn anything more about DJ Turner, but, you know, Jamon Green, they're going to test him. They they like to throw into coverage, and they like to uh, you know they give their guy leverage and they give their guy opportunities to to go up and get it. That's Tory Horton, number fourteen. Um, so if they're going to try to get him on Jamon Green and uh, and see if Jamon doesn't flip out in the middle of a in the middle of trying to defend it. And then the running backs are all receivers. They had they brought back last year's running back who was you know a, an Adazio special from Boston College. He was two hundred forty pounds. And All right, that um, string, so. Alex, what what are you going to be looking for? Well, it'll game? be the the first look at Will Johnson, and this is an an, an offense that's going to pass a lot, so I think that'll be um, exciting. You know, the the defensive line because they pass so much, we'll we'll see how much we can really learn about that. Um, I think what Seth's point is just notable here, which is that. You know, Colorado State's a team I think it's going to be a lot better in November than they are in week one with a first-time starter, an offensive line that's kind of being glued together through different pieces. But overall, uh, you know, I think for me, the linebackers, and particularly Kalel Mullings, right? If if he is starting, that was our big question point in the preseason podcast was this is a position we don't want to see an injury while well, there's already an injury, and it's not a serious one, and it's not against a particularly threatening opponent, but this is a chance to get a look at what the depth does hold at this position. Um, whether Mullings holds that spot, did they move Barrett inside? Did they try one of the true freshmen? Who knows? But I think that'll be interesting. What we we are sure that the Hill Green injury is not serious. I mean, Sam was kind of intimating today that it was, uh, you know, like they said soft tissue, right? Uh, okay. So I, I've been guessing that's a hamstring or something that you know. That does heal and doesn't really leave leave a mess afterwards. If he's hamstring, I don't like. <laughs> well, there's hip, hip pointer I like. Um, hamstring, I don't like. And I mean, there's 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 tear and there's pull, right? So, I mean, if he's yeah. like a little bit and like if it, it sounds like it might be one of those injuries where if it was Michigan State, he would play. If it's Colorado State, 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on the team bubble wrap everybody in the non-conference. If there is a single player who has something hampering him slightly, I don't want to see him against any of these three teams. I listen to Part C, Alex. You want us to play like just all tomato cans. You just, That's true. You just you you don't want the season to be twelve games. You're just you, like ah, let's make nine game seasons. Like let's let's play Toledo, Ohio, and Slippery Rock, please. I I know the whole roster. I want to Penn see the State guys off we the don't schedule. hear about. <laughs> and drop Penn State off the schedule for Kent State. And you're just going to be like, yeah, they're in the Big Ten now. Alex is Big Ten. <laughs> so, uh, revenue. yeah, I mean, we, there is one Big Ten player. It's uh, CJ Onyechi is the uh, is their defensive end now. Uh, he's 6'0", 245, if you remember him. Where did he transfer from? Rutgers. Rutgers. I thought you said he was a Big Ten player. <laughs> ah. But um, oh, it's funny because Rutgers isn't in the Big Ten. Yeah, um, remember that? Chestnut? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is kind of funny that now, you know, we're adding UCLA and USC because they're going to raise the, the dough for everybody. But, like, we can't add Oregon, but we added Rutgers because the things were different back then. Like, you're in Rutgers. You get your $90 million like everybody else. Anywho, uh, I, I enjoy the the like look back at the Big Ten Network fifteen years ago coming online, and there was like, oh, it was really visionary of uh, Jim Delaney. And I'm like, yeah, it made some people some money, I guess. But what happened on the field? Nothing. Nothing good. So yeah, the people have different priorities in that department. Is there anything else to talk about with Colorado State? Or there is we, something uh, weird. Um, we spent all okay, offseason talking about the weak side linebacker. Who is an inside linebacker, right? Cameron Carter. We were like all about him all and Pro Football Focus was, was on it too, but I saw him balling out against Iowa and that's when I got on, on board. And they benched him. Or at least the uh, the depth chart came out and he was behind a red shirt freshman walk on wearing number forty nine, who's six foot two, one ninety five at linebacker. So I don't really know what's going on there. I don't know if it was an off sea off field thing or a system thing or what? Um, they they are moving to a new defensive system. They're going to quarters now, so I don't know if maybe he was not working well in their old in the new system. But uh, that that kind of threw me for a loop and made me feel kind of foolish for spending all off season talking about Cameron Carter. All off season. <laughs> oh. Well, <laughs> a, a, a defensive end we flagged as a danger man for UConn and HGTV is literally just vanished from the roster. So <laughs> we're doing pretty well on guys we said to look out for in the non-conference. Yeah, we also right, called so... Trey Roberson there. Uh, we'll we'll say we'll we'll get the Trey Roberson in, in UConn week. <laughs> yes, and what a, what a week it shall be. We're gonna take a break. Come back and start talking about the uh, upcoming season. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. 
Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirt.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the big house. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Welcome back to MGO Radio 8.0. We welcome in Ben Mathis Lilly, the author of the new book, The Hot Seat, which goes over the most recent Michigan season, which may be of interest to people who like good things happening in their lives. How are you doing? I'm in a great mood. Uh, I'm here in Hamilton, Ohio. Um, I came up to Ann Arbor for the reading the other day and uh, coming back for the game on Saturday. So I'm, I'm just enjoying life. I, I drove by John Boehner's house today uh, for my day job. Uh, that had nothing to do with football. But uh, former Speaker of the House, John Boehner, at least I tried to drive by, but it's a country club, so I couldn't get all the way in. So you, you of course, work for Slate. Uh, yes. Why is uh, stalking a former <laughs> uh, member of the House of Representatives part of your, your job description? 
Um, well, I'm, I'm writing, actually, I'm writing about the Ohio Senate race. We figured that, so my in-laws wow. live down here in Ohio. Um, Hamilton is, Ohio is near Cincinnati. And we thought since uh, J.D. Vance, who's running for Senate, lives around here, I thought I'd go cruise by his house, which is famously very large. Um, and it's on William Half, Tower Taft Road. Um, and then while I was there, I thought maybe I'd compare it to where John Boehner lives to try to, to try to glean some conclusions about the direction of the modern Republican Party. But since I didn't really get anywhere near John Boehner's house, I don't know if I have any conclusions to glean. I like that you just accepted the charge of stalking. You're like, yep, that's what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I never left the I never left the public, the, you know, the public streets. <laughs> This is off to yeah. a wonderful spot. So you did that's, this. That's what I told the court too, Ben. <laughs> so you did. I, this I is take a public you, right away. <laughs> I, I take it this that was also your approach in the hot seat, a year of outrage, pride, and occasional games of college football by Ben Mathisilli, available from Public Affairs Books. <laughs> hmm? uh, uh, I did. Yeah, I did a lot of a lot of, a lot of ex-player stalking, basically, but none none of it in person. So how did this book come about? Uh, well. MGO blog and uh, and and you are a, a key part of the origin story here. I think you you wrote a post that was recommending sports books like ten years ago, twelve years ago, or something, and you recommended football against the enemy. Um, yeah. Wow, good book. Uh, for those who uh, have not read, it's it's a journalist. Um, he's half Dutch and half English. Simon Cooper. Yeah, he's still around. Great writer, good, good soccer writer. He, he's half Dutch and half English. And I think at one point he realizes that like there's something about the there's the there's something about the the different countries, uh, Netherlands and England, the way that they play soccer ties into their national character in a way he finds amusing. Like the Dutch want to be perfect, and the English, or at least at the time, just wanted to kind of whack the thing way down the field and dominate everyone and kind of like recreate imperialism uh, through knocking people over. Uh, and so he goes or he he. He kind of uh, goes around the entire world, goes to a bunch of countries, exploring this idea that the way that uh, that that you play soccer uh, has something to do with who you are as a as a nation. And so I read that book, and and whether or not Brian made this comparison explicitly, I, I don't know, but it it is the America's version of that is college football. Um, and the example I, I always use is at the time uh, I would compare Oregon. Um, which was like, you know, basically uh, operating out of a NASA facility in Eugene, um, uh, funded by Nike, using all the most advanced technology, coming up with plays that had never been seen before, uh, and putting this, you know, little sensors on guys in practice. Uh, that was a very extremely West Coast, Eugene, Oregon uh, type of way to play football. And I compared it to LSU, which was coached by Les Miles, who we all know and love um, in this community. Who would order, you know, or order them to, to run it into the line 74 times and eat grass off the field and kind of, I thought, embodied a very um, swamp aggression, swamp-like aggression, uh, an old-fashioned way of playing. And and so um, I thought that comparison was, was fun. Sought to write a book that compared a bunch of teams, uh, eventually pared that down to writing about three coaches of which the primary became Jim Harbaugh because he is the most interesting, not only to me, but, but to a book buying audience, to a general uh, interest audience, um, but also Ed Ogeron at LSU and uh, Willie Taggart from Florida State and Florida. But a lot of it ended up being about, about Michigan because they had the most interesting season and I could um, go to their games most easily without having to pay an exorbitant amount to travel. Uh, I, 
I went to your your reading and at uh, Literati, and afterwards you were, we were talking. You mentioned that when you were first pitching the book, <clears throat> you're like, "Oh, it's about all these other programs too." And they were like, "No, no, no, no. Michigan people actually buy books." <laughs> yeah, we're testing that right now. We're in the first week of of testing that theory out. It's going pretty well so far. Uh, but yeah, I was always very self conscious when I was um, uh, talking to agents and and publishers in New York City that I I you know I I wanted them to know I didn't just want them to pay me to go to see my favorite team play. But I, when I got the uh, editor I did, who's at, at Public Affairs Books, uh, his name's Ben Adams, and he was like, no, no, yeah, yeah, make it as much about Michigan as you want because that's like, there's an audience for that. And we're not so sure if there's an audience for Clemson books or LSU books. or L- not LSU books. fans don't read. That's exactly what they were telling you. <laughs> You know what? I talked to some great LSU, some very literate, um, very generous LSU fans down there. Uh, For Podcat is a a longtime member of the college football internet community. Uh, He's out there. Uh, Zach Rao. uh, They were great. They're they're reading the book right now. They both got it this week. So I'm hoping that, that, you know, we're breaking breaking through the stereotypes there. I I mean, we're trying to, but you did just mention (laughs) that the two people you talked to were literate. (laughs) Usually it goes without saying. So how, how much of this book is actually about Michigan? Probably in about three quarters in the end. Um, it's, uh, I write about most of the games. Um, I do a you know, host history. I was at um, Michigan's history, the, the actual University of Michigan's history of uh, college athletics class for undergraduates on Wednesday, uh, talking about the history of um, the university and its relation to Thomas Jefferson and kind of how, how everything in college football can actually in a weird way be tied back to Thomas Jefferson. Uh, so there's, you know, I start there and then I go through the Ohio state game. So probably, probably I would say 75% of it is, is Michigan content. And, and in the course of it, I try to not only follow the season, but trying to try to figure out why, why, and why I, and, and other people are, are so fascinated and, and kind of like emotionally compelled by, by this particular sport. There's also a complete section where he copy pasted from the Emgo board. Yeah, there's a seriously there's, <laughs> the whole Washington the the intro to the chapter about the Washington game is people going absolutely nuts, including myself. Uh, to be fair, on uh, the two the twenty two four seven um, board and on Emgo blog board about the team and and how they're like we had no chance of beating anybody else all season and the offensive play calling and like this is like it's just a disaster. Um, you know, the punchline being for the people who are reading it who don't remember that game that like I can go through all these like just extremely overheated, hyperbolic, um, obscene remarks about the team. And then the punchline is like Michigan won this game 31 to 10, I think. And it like actually was never close. Um, <clears throat> and <laughs> the, the, these people reacted this way despite but despite what was happening on the field being largely uneventful, if if not outright pleasant for them. Yeah, I mean, I remember it was deep into last season and people were, I mean, I was still like, this isn't happening. And like, I mean, the Penn State game where Michigan has this lead and Penn State gets a couple of breaks, they go up by three and everybody on Twitter is just murdering each other. Yeah. This is like, this is a team with one loss. Yeah. At this point. I, that's one of the chapters I hope is new, that it will it is new to, will be new to MGO blog readers as well uh, as the general public. And I hope people enjoy that. So actually that's the moment um, at which I, I had interviewed this guy for before the season, actually, but I knew that I wanted him to bring to bring him in somehow. I found a a guy who who leads um, Buddhist meditation retreats uh, in in the woods in Massachusetts, 
His name is Chaz DeCapua. Um, and I asked him for help managing my emotions around the sport of college football. Uh, <laughs> and it turned out this was actually random. He turned out to be, he was used to be a huge Patriots fan and still is kind of a fan, like as we get into in the book in a way that's hopefully kind of funny. So he actually knew exactly what I was talking about. And he was like describing like the different like kind of currents of fear and and anxiety in a way that like you could tell that he actually did know what what I meant. Um, so he gave me some advice and we talked for a while and I was waiting for a place to put that. And, and that moment that you're actually just brought up was exactly where I knew it had to go it was like the, the second after um, Kate got sacked and, and they were like as they were preparing to um, as Penn State was preparing to take the ball on the 17 yard line or whatever. And and probably most Michigan fans assumed, you know, score and, and kind of put the game away. Yeah. So this is, is this is sort of memoirish. It's like a personal there's there's a personal component. It's like um, trying to figure out why I am the way I am, but also then through that, why everyone is the way they are. Um, <laughs> Asking the big questions. It, it really does. And as I, I get into, I know you're a Frasier fan. Um, there's like some, <laughs> this is, there's a Frasier. Is, is, it, is it that obvious? <laughs> well, you just, you've, um, you've, I think you've liked my tweets about Frasier. Uh, <laughs> Busted. And I don't, I don't think anyone who doesn't watch Frasier just goes and does that. Because like, <laughs> Frasier is one of the weirdest shows to talk about. If you don't like l- hearing people talk about Frasier, like if you don't know who these characters are, is is like it, it it like does not make sense why anyone would like that that show. So um, so I assume that anyone who's who's conversant with it, um, no, I get I kind of get into uh, I I actually Frasier is character the character of Frasier is who I imagine as the like least sports fan person in the world. Um, which actually is kind of a subplot on the show, but uh, I I I try to kind of get into like why even people like that actually have something which means as much to them or or which they relate to in the same way that sports fans relate to sports. Um, you know, people cry at operas, uh, people cry at football games. It's basically for the same reason I I I, I think, um, and so I, I get into stuff like that in the in the book as well. All right, so this is just like a attempt to explain yourself to your wife it kind of sounds like that's right (laughs) (laughs) i know you have had a lot of questions over the years and this is my best effort at explaining why i am the way i am yeah yeah i that's actually that could have been the tagline for the for the book really (laughs) all right what is the best way to get the hot seat uh anywhere books are sold i think it should be at the m den even uh at the m den also obviously uh bookstores indie bookstores chain bookstores and uh online amazon barnes and noble uh, uh all those good places all right i'll put a link well, in the description for us, people ben. too <laughs> okay thank you hey wait, before i go i want to um i want to blow up brian's spot just because he's wearing the same same shirt he was on tuesday uh <laughs> <laughs> I've been working so hard this week, Ben. <laughs> you, know, you don't know, Ben. You don't know, Ben. All right. We're going to take All a right. break, come back, and talk about what we learned from our season preview activities. All right. Thanks, Ben. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner from Peak Wealth Management. 
in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. Now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of Homeshare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use Homeshare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. Loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com. That's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E lending.com slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me. Kind of an annual tradition. Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue. Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, Equal Housing Lender. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Welcome back to MGO Radio 8.0. We are going to discuss now the changes in our opinion now that we've gone through the entire season preview process, at least for the position groups. We're going to start with the offense. And so we had a season preview podcast last couple weeks ago, and we have our takes from that season preview podcast. And now we're going to talk about like, so what do we think has changed, whether it's chatter from within the program or just vibes or if we went over a position group in detail to preview it, like what, what feels different? And I thought we'd start with Seth because Seth did the offensive line. Cause I was just like, I didn't UFR these guys. <laughs> yeah. I don't like, 
I know I know what I feel about Andrew Anthony, right? But like right. I, I didn't go over every one of those guys with the fine tooth comb, so I'm not the man to do it this year. So going through this process, going back over all the stuff that that you you did for UFR last year, and then and then writing up all of these guys, like what changed in your your opinion? I well, I, first of all, I'd forgotten that so many of them got injured last year. That like there was a segment of the season where it was Chuck Filianga and Carson Barnhart playing guard, and Filianga was playing hurt, and then they had to bring Zinter back, and Zinter had that club on his hand, like he was not healthy for a mass a, a big portion of the season. I don't think until Penn State was he even getting off the mat, and maybe um, maybe like that was the first game I think all season he was fine. So you know you you look at how young these guys are too, and I know we were trying to figure out what to do with the. 2020 season because it like throws our whole redshirt system off which is like it's already hard enough to figure out what everybody's uh year is but like the question of like whether you count that year because guys got in for like you know one game or half a game or something like that like do you count is that see well, how much did trevor keegan really get to play that season or get to practice even that season um but when you start considering all these things and they, they just pile up like how young these guys are like ryan hayes is you know, like the elder statesman on the on the offense, but he was a guy who came in as a tight end and had to get converted. And you saw that over the course of the season a lot. And like just reading through the UFRs going from start to finish, that really came on strong. That like we were in the process of watching a young offensive line grow up and was really for most of them kind of that freshman to sophomore leap that they were going through. Which means, you know, offensive linemen, they, they you know, they, hit their peaks in their 30s, right? Like these guys in the NFL, sometimes they're not their best selves until they're 29, 30 years old. Um, and, and like you're watching them get so much better, so much fat, like, you know, in front of you. And it's like, well, if you take that progression another off season, see what Zach Zinter is when he's got two hands and see what Trevor Keegan is when he's slimmed down and he's not like, doesn't have maybe some of the athletic issues that he had last year and give Ryan Hayes like an opportunity to get a little bit stronger and, um, you know, work a little bit on his tech, on his slide technique. And like, this is the Joe Moore winning team. Like, and then you add like a Remington center to it. And it's like, I, I'm afraid of how positive I was starting to get because I couldn't find <sighs> negatives. And then, Oluwatimi, the same thing. Like the talk on him all off season was just ridiculous. So one thing we haven't really addressed is that there's a huge gap between perception of Michigan's line, the awards that they've been given, and then your grading. Uh huh. All of that's on one side, and then the other side is Pro Football Focus, <laughs> which ranked Michigan, I think, eighth in the Big Ten. Ace looked this up. Uh-huh. They ranked them eighth in the Big Ten in uh, run block grade. And they they loved Michigan's running back, so I guess that those those things kind of go hand in hand. If you're grading the running backs really really high, then you can have uh, a good running game without having a well that are grading out amazingly. But I mean, just what do you make of that? I mean, Pro Football Focus, I think they've always had an issue with how they grade because they they end up having to do a lot of math and they try to simplify it and they don't break out screens. I mean, they can't do that, right? They, they, they're they fly-by charting service. They could not look at every single screen, look how long everyone sits in pass protection. Michigan's pass protections were had to last a long time. They were either in a, a passing mode when they were passing or they were um, like doing flea flickers and stuff. 
I, I believe that this grade was not for overall right. offensive line. It was sip, st- solely on the ground. So I, I'm yeah. sure that they graded out pretty well uh, as pass well, blocking the, line. Cause it, at, yeah, and then the ground, um, I think it gets back into the uh, the fact that like they didn't have the line for most of the season. Like the Joe Moore Award, I don't know if Michigan start to finish last year was the best offensive line in the country. I think that you actually have a really hard time making that case. I think by the end of the season – when the people who vote for the Joe Moore Award, who are all offensive linemen, you have to even be a line coach or offensive lineman just to be part of that. We're watching Michigan versus Ohio State. Like, that game was 1995 versus Ohio State level of offensive line play. Everyone just played well beyond what they played all season. Uh, and that carried over for some guys to the Georgia game, and it didn't for other guys, but and, and the Iowa game as well. Um but I think that's where the Joe Moore Award win happened was the Ohio State game. If you go through the rest of the season, they missed some blocks. They Carson Barnhart actually played terrible at guard. He actually had a much better season when he was a freshman at tackle um, than he did in 20, uh, 2021 when he was thrown in there at guard. And a lot of it was just mental mistakes. He was missing guys. Uh, Chuck Filianga had a couple issues. Keegan was kind of up and down the whole season until finally leveling out at pretty good. And Zinter was playing one-handed. So, you know, if one side of him, he was just destroying people. And the other side of him, he didn't have a hand. So if you total up everything throughout the season, like the running backs, you remember my charting earlier in the year, it was like running backs were getting ridiculous grades. And I stand by that after looking it over again, because it was like, yeah, they met guys in the backfield and had to dodge around them or they had to set up their own blocks because the offensive line wasn't getting off their doubles. It was only late in the season when Zinter cr- started crushing people. Keegan really, his intelligence really uh, took over, that kind of stuff. Alex, have, has your view of the offense shifted at all? Um, I don't think uh, totally. I would do want to say one thing on the offensive line that I thought kind of came up reading Seth's pieces was the fact that you know, those injuries to the interior offensive line really reached their peak in late October when Michigan played Michigan State. And I think it hasn't been talked about enough when in that matchup, they play the best interior uh, defensive lineman in the Big Ten, in my opinion, in Jacob Slade. And that was such a huge part of that game. And the injuries there, I think, really created a mismatch that isn't talked about enough in terms of the story of that game. And that'll be something to watch going into this year. Um one name we did not say in the preseason offensive podcast who came up uh, in the preseason articles and in Harbaugh's talk is Peyton O'Leary. His name, <laughs> his name did not get mentioned. So I wanted to shout him out. Uh, Direct I, comparison to Cooper, Cooper Cup, Cup, Jim yeah. Harbaugh, <laughs> which is, I mean, they switched his number. He was 38 in the spring and now he's 81 or something. So I, I mean, that says something. It does say something that he has been brought up multiple times by multiple different people. Um, you know, he is six foot three. Like he's, he's got some, some size there to, to work with. And I mean, if people are talking about him, why would they be talking about him? Right? Like you have five different guys. I mean, one thing that I, I do think kind of jumped out to me when I did the, the wide receiver section is that they really have every piece that you need. Mm-hmm. They have, they have, you know, your, your deep shot guy in Roman Wilson, you have a guy who can turn a guy around and get open for a 20 yard 
Gain and Cornelius Johnson. They have a guy who I think is going to be a terrific slot receiver in Ronnie Bell. They have the end around guy in AJ Henning, and then they have the guy who can go high point everything in Andrew Anthony. And <clears throat> these skill sets overlap, right? Like Cornelius Johnson should be able to high point some balls. You know, we've seen Ronnie Bell do it. We've seen Ronnie Bell get open deep. We've seen Ronnie Bell burn people. But just in terms of like, if you have a weakness in your secondary, Michigan has the personnel to attack it. And it doesn't matter what that weakness is. So, I mean, I was really high on the wide receiver group, even going into that preview. And then by the time I came out of it, I was just like, Holy God, like they are going to be incredible as long as they throw the ball and they might not have to do that much. I mean, I, I think the ideal for the offense right now is to have balance. And um, that's like, not last year when you're a run-heavy team, but it's probably not being a pass-heavy team either. It's it's getting right down that 50-50 in terms of yards for from each uh, phase of the game. And I mean, other than that, like you kind of look down at the the tight end stuff, and you're like, there's a lot of names down here, and I don't know if anyone's going to have a lot of time this year, but I think someone's probably going to poke their nose through, and it's going to look fine for the year after. Um, <clears throat> and then just going over the quarterbacks where it's like you can see how Cade McNamara gets there. Mm -hmm. You know, I think before I did the the quarterbacks preview, I was like team JJ, team JJ, team JJ. And then you just look at his season. You look at it, the improvement on the back half of the season, which was up and down still, but there was a clear uptick in, in his ability to perform. You look at the fact that uh, he was a redshirt sophomore and one of those years was the COVID year. So he still has a lot of runway to improve. And if you look at his deep ball accuracy, all he really has to do is find those guys and be a little bit more aggressive and like even be more aggressive to the point where like sometimes you're throwing into coverage because like, yeah, you're throwing into coverage and you know, Ronnie Bell or Andrew Anthony's out there. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> see what happens. And like, I just feel like if he is better able to read, he's better able to take advantage of what's there. He has the accuracy to stay in front. And the fact that he threw like two interceptions that were interceptable balls, like he had a couple deflections and all that stuff, inaccurate passes, but not passes that were directly to a defender, except for, I think, two. And then one of those, I think, Nebraska was offsides on. Mm -hmm. So to have that over a full season as your first season as a college starter, and then on top of that, to have the sack avoidance that he had, like all he really has to do is take advantage of opportunities are there. All the peripheral stuff where it's like, don't get your team in trouble. He already excels at. So I came out of that much more 50, 50 about the quarterback battle. That's yeah. interesting. Like, so you think that Michigan could win the national championship with Cade McNamara? <laughs> I think that there's a version of Cade McNamara that does get there. Okay. Like, and it's it's the version of Cade McNamara that is like fully Drew Brees, Tom Brady. You know, mm -hmm. where where it's just like his his reads are automatic. He's stepping into every throw with confidence. He knows where he's going a lot of time before the snap even happens, which is something that you saw from him last year. Yeah. Like, I think that for him to get there, he has to be much more precise and and much more mentally. Uh, advanced than J.J. McCarthy because J.J. McCarthy can make up for a bunch of stuff because he's got a crazy arm and he's got crazy legs. But I think that there's a version of him in there that mm -hmm. beats Ohio State. I don't want to say win the national championship because 
<laughs> yeah, Georgia and Alabama, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's like real hard to do. But I think that there's a version of Cade McNamara in there who can win the Big Ten as a guy that the team leans on, which is not the case last year, right? They weren't yeah. leaning on Cade McNamara. So, and you just you go back to the the, the relative youth, right? Like quarterbacks from one year to the next can be completely different people and i felt like what we saw from him was enough to project that if he gets a if he gets a lot better which is possible that that package can be elite quarterback well and what we've been hearing is that kate has kind of identified the areas he needs to improve in camp and that he's looking to be more aggressive and he's also looking to be a little more mobile and i think you know, in part, that's him looking at what JJ has over him in terms of skill set. And those are the areas, I mean, if we're talking about in the first segment, things I'm looking for against Colorado State, in part, I'm curious to see if Cade's going to run a little bit more. We heard that in uh, scrimmage a week ago that he had a 30-yard a touchdown scramble. So I'm curious about that a little bit. And we did see it a little more at the end of last year. Remember in the Big Ten Championship game where they motioned everybody wide and then Cade uh, rumbled up the middle for 10 yards. So, um, you know, those are little things, but those are ways he can uh, he can improve. And and I'm looking for just just moving forward. But I thought Brian did make a really good case uh, for Kate in that in that piece while still showing what everyone knows about JJ, because my sense of the fan base is it's about 80 <laughs> percent team JJ and they feel it in their hearts. They <laughs> yeah. They that, see sounds, the that sounds low to me. I, okay, I had the, I had the guy at the post office take, talk my ear off for about fifteen <clears throat> minutes about JJ. So I I know it's out there. Um, shifting gears a little bit because you kind of like brushed by it. How did you like my boy Eric Albrian? Because like I, <laughs> I I got so excited about him last year and I was like I am I insane? Like I I thought you were a little <laughs> over the top. Okay. So I would, you know, I, I pull out all the clips mm-hmm. um, and then I don't know if something's a plus one or a plus two or a plus 0.5. So it is kind of interesting to see like, all right, so look at Eric all on this play. What did he do? How do I feel about that? Mm-hmm. And there were, there were a lot of Eric all clips where I was like, okay. That's plus like, ones. There were, I had, there were a lot I mean, of plus ones that he had last year. That was the thing, though. They ran off his side all the time, and it would just yeah, total up. I uh, I don't know. I, okay. I kind of feel like if Eric All is talking about how like oh Luke Schumacher is a much better blocker than I am, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't I don't know where that comes from, but I feel like there might be something that we're missing. I I have a theory on that. I think that Eric All tends to once he makes his block, he kind of looks back. And see, like he throws himself into the block. So first of all, he's just kind of like looking at the chest of the guy he hit. But then he kind of looks back once he's latched on to see where his running back is. And and Scootmaker's are much better at seeing the whole board, right? And you know, th- there was that one clip on I think it was on a, on Arc Read where the if you saw it was a linebacker coming in. You saw that guy had no chance to make the play. So he just kind of gives him a little shove on the shoulder and moves on. And you didn't really see that from Eric Hall. Eric Hall would see his target and get him and then kind of oh, look back and see what happened. That was against Michigan State. That was a counter. Okay. And he saw that there was a, a cornerback coming in from the outside. That was nominally his responsibility. And he was like, ah, that guy's not going to get there. Mm-hmm. And he moved on to a safety and got enough of him so that he took him out of the play. So, yeah, I think I think there might be something there. I mean... I think a good thing about Eric all also might kind of point to some of his limitations is that 
you see him when he engages with a defensive back. You see him come in very calmly and just latch onto the guy and then ride him. He like mm-hmm. he has confidence that he's big enough to do this. And then when he's got a defensive end who's charging in on a on a split zone, he sh- throws his body into the block. Right. And that's what he's got to do because he doesn't have the size of Schoonmaker. Now he's ten pounds heavier this year, so maybe he won't have to do that. But I think just because he's got to just um, got to get after it in a way because he's never been the biggest guy. I, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I don't think that he seems like an all-American type, like uh, Blake Bowers from from Georgia. And that was that was kind of the thing that was like, you know, I just saw this guy play in a couple of games. I'm like, that guy. Right. I don't feel the same way about Eric Hall. I think he's a really good player. I think he's all Big Ten level, but I didn't I didn't think he was like all-American. Well, he was... I mean, here's because I would. I saw your take. I saw Pro Football Focus's take, and I saw my numbers. And like my feelings were based on my numbers that kept on coming out super duper positive. But like I see uh, when other guys make that block, when, and that's the that block where the tight end crosses the formation and gets the kick out on split zone or car- counter, whichever one it is. Um, most guys don't get the they, they don't throw their whole bodies into it all the time, or they, even if they do, they don't get there fast enough to create the space that Eric All did. So every time I like, man, I, I I gave this guy like a plus fifteen, minus four, or something like that for a game, and I'd be like, that's really really positive. And then you go to the other side, and Michigan would just be destroying. I don't know, in Hutchinson, obviously, but like Ojabo was doing it, Jalen Harrell was doing it. Michigan had those guys' numbers the way that Eric All never got got, and it wasn't a lot of plus twos. I don't think I had very many plus two events for him all season until the Georgia game. There was like one drive where Eric Hall just went ballistic. And I, I think it ended because they didn't throw it at Eric Hall and he threw an interception in the corner of the end zone. But everything else, that whole drive, whether it was a run or whether it was passing down the field, Eric Hall was like one of the players that stood out against Georgia. And that's the thing about him. It's, it's, he's a guy that like old school people would, would should latch on to. Cause like he's just, he does it so many plays in the end, his, contribution is very positive and I kind of I don't know you're right he's not a Blake Bowers and it's but he's the kind of guy that UFR I think gets excited about because of the system that we have yeah I mean I think it's possible that we we have different approaches to grading mm-hmm. and so when I've done grading in the past I'm always careful to be like so this looks like this number but it's a linebacker right mm-hmm. so if he's at zero we're okay with that Okay. And if he's a defensive end, he needs to be plus eight or else we're going to get crotchety. So it's possible that, you know, if you did mm-hmm. tight ends for a number of years, you'd be like, oh, I guess I'm just grading these guys higher than Brian did. But yeah. who knows? Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break. Come back and talk about the other side. Wait, of the ball. wait, wait. You can't do that. Yeah. You didn't talk about Blake Corum. Well, I don't. I, I have no <laughs> different opinions about Blake Corum. <laughs> okay. Now you can take a break. All of my opinions about Blake Corum are exactly the same as they were. All right. Now you can break. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make 
possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high-quality and low-latency communication functionality for video, voice and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. Is your online store sluggish? Outdated? Underperforming? You may be suffering from chronic crappy website disorder. One in three online stores built by your brother's friend's nephew currently suffers from chronic crappy website. But now, there's hope. Introducing Human Element. Huel has helped hundreds suffering from CCW to turn their online stores around, creating fast, secure, and engaging online experiences that turn visitors into customers and put products back at the top of their search engine game. Before Huel, I had abandoned carts, browser errors, and poorly animated GIFs. Now, with Huel, I can focus on what I'm actually good at, running my business. Jeffrey, would you be a deer and pull the Ferrari around? Side effects may include increased traffic, customer conversions, better ROI, compliments, elation, and early retirement. Why live with the disappointment of chronic crappy website disorder? Speak to your human element consultant today to see if Huel is right for you. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. Here's a thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. Welcome back to MGO Radio 8.0. Before we get started with the defense, well, who provided the music for this lovely episode? That was uh, Summer Like the Season. I I came late to the party. Like everyone in Detroit apparently already knows about her. Um, or the Diamonds a little threesome. But uh, the uh, I saw her in the Metro Times and over the summer and was like, oh, okay. That that sounds cool. I'll check it out. And then my wife and I have been listening to her in our little work cubby for the rest of the summer. So... Glad I got to stick her out there, and she's um, I don't know, pretty pretty mellow and and pretty ch- and uh, pretty good stuff. So, all right, so we're talking about how our opinions changed during the course of the season preview process, and Alex tackled the linebackers. Alex, did your did your meter move in any particular directions? 
I don't think I can tackle any linebackers, to be frank. But uh, um, no, uh, you know, I think that it was interesting because it shows um, kind of how Michigan adapted to their schedule, where late in the year, you know, Seth was the one kind of uh, banging the table for Nakai Hill Green often throughout the season and and yet his workload decreases as the year goes along. And a lot of that seemed to be because they needed Josh Ross to take the hard stuff uh, in that role for the most part. And then they were playing spread offenses where they were worried about athleticism. And so they go with junior Colson for the most part over NHG for that reason, even though NHG was probably the better guy. Um, and at that same time, they add Barrett back in, um, especially against Indiana and Penn State as kind of a personnel thing. So, you know, it was interesting just in that way to see how uh, usage changed in 2021 based on who they were playing. And I think that also uh, potentially shows a little bit of a peak of what this year could be like, where you're probably going to see a lot of Colson and NHG when they're healthy. But I think Barrett's going to have a real role on this defense. And you know, ideally not at inside linebacker, but in that kind mm-hmm. of Viper role where he was getting 25 snaps at the end of last season. Um, you know, his and in this defense where we're probably going to need to blitz more um, in order to get pressure, he's a guy who can blitz like Kalik, right? Mm-hmm. Like he has those flashes where you see that. He had a sack against, um, I think it was Penn State. And I think he's going to be an interesting piece. Um, the depth was about as creaky as feared i think um i if i had to throw one name out there of the guy i learned the most about in doing the process it would be Jaden hood and that's because i was very close to publishing the piece without mentioning him like <laughs> <laughs> there has been no alex mention, this is not helping <laughs> there has been no mention of him in camp whatsoever and i was like oh that guy still exists um, so I added him in, but yeah, he, I mean, it seems like Mullings is first up and that will be interesting because he kind of seemed like Colson, but a lot worse, which is, you know, not great. Um, last year. And I don't know, after that, we've heard Pollard, we've heard Rolder a little bit, but you know, those are true freshmen who didn't even early enroll. So I don't know. I mean, we haven't really even heard Joey Velasquez either. I mean, my, my conclusion in doing it is that if NHG is healthy and Junior Colson is healthy and those guys have progressed like we'd expect, they'll probably be pretty good. I don't I don't know if they're all Big Ten level yet. They've got a long way to go, but I think they should be fine starters. Um, it's just everything after that is probably about what we thought, and they're probably going to do some stuff with Barrett too. Yeah, you I want to talk about... Gonna play, you want, think Barrett's going to play on the inside? I, I no, want to I talk about Barrett. I think, yeah, Seth, take that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, this is what he was talking about here. It's like, the, where did that hybrid space player come from? It was like teams started using running quarterbacks. They had the, you know, the, the Rich Rod offense changed things and everyone went spread. And the answer to that was to have a guy who could, you know, sit back like a safety and cover space. And that's where the, you know, the hybrid space player came out of and that's what he was recruited to be and then when Michigan last year played against teams that used a, primarily a running quarterback except for Rutgers they didn't have him available I think at that point but Indiana uh they were playing a guy who's now I believe at wide receiver uh a, a quarterback and Penn State you know 
they have a quarterback who his legs are a major part of their offense. Uh, and so they brought back Barrett. They brought back, I called it their 4-3 last year, but it was really their 4-2-5. It was the same personnel that Don Brown would use, and it was incredibly effective. In fact, more effective, I thought, than their uh, 5-2, which they would bring out whenever teams like went to an extra tight end, uh, to the point where I was hoping they would actually use Barrett instead of uh, you know Harrell and that whole package, because I thought that Michigan just, that's who their personnel were. And Barrett is still very good as a Viper. I just, every time they tried to make him an inside linebacker, was, he just did not have it. He looked like Khalil He's just Hudson not big played. enough. Yeah. Yeah, he's not big enough. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what I was thinking, so that's why I wanted to clarify that. Um, on my end, uh, you know, I went over all the defensive ends, and I'm like, <laughs> which one of these guys might, like, bust out? And I think my answer is Derek Moore. Okay. Because Derek Moore is now 279 pounds on the roster. He's older than an average freshman, so physically ready. And his recruiting profile is just all I cannot believe that this guy moves the way he does at this size all of it and they say that he doesn't have any pass rush moves okay I accept (laughs) (laughs) that's fine if there's one guy who can put the fear of God in someone off the edge on this team maybe it's the Abiyanoma my bet is Derek Moore Um, and I feel like he's going to learn a pass rush move, right? Like maybe he's not going to be particularly crazy about it, but all he has to do really is alternate between going off the edge and speed to power because mm-hmm. he has the size. And if there's a guy who's worried about you going around him and all of a sudden you're bull rushing him, that's going to be enough. Like, I don't think he's going to play on standard downs. I think that's going to be mostly Jalen Harrell, who I really like as a, as a run defender, but you know, when it comes time to get after the quarterback, Derek Moore is my my guy for like breakout excited end. Yeah, I think I comped him to Rashawn Gary, and I was definitely you did, which is not sane. I was, no, I was, not at all sane. I was definitely playing the. I was definitely twisting the. the I, you're I was. Not, you're I don't know what the word word for what I was doing there, but I was I was making a point about Rashawn Gary at the same time that like I was comparing him not to what we thought Rashawn Gary would be. But what Rashawn Gary was as a player at Michigan, where I, he I, had—I'm not sure if I agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he was just a massive. He, he just like—he's a guy who's 280 pounds who moves like a linebacker. Right. So, like, I feel like I—he was actually the last guy I talked about in that section. But I feel like if I had to bet on someone being the guy who comes and rescues the pass rush, it's, it's Derek Moore. Uh, and then the defensive tackles. Um, just going over what Mozzie Smith was able to do last year. Like I was optimistic about Mozzie Smith. Everybody's optimistic about Mozzie Smith after the freaks article, but there's this play against Nebraska works a Nebraska offensive lines with one hand. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and then you look at his grading and the grading is pretty good. And then you think about the context, right? Like it's okay. He put up a plus seven. That's solid for a sophomore. He put up, uh, he put up a plus seven when the guy next to him was putting up a plus 20 and the guy on the other side of the line is putting up a plus 15, there's not that many points to go around. And given his role last year, he didn't really have to go after the points in pass rush. You know, if it came to him, it came to him. That's fine. This year, they're going to need to rely on him. And I think we've seen enough from him to, to think that he's really going to blow up. So I was 
already like on board the Mozzie Smith hype train. And after watching all that stuff, I'm even more over the moon about him. Similarly, uh, DJ Turner. Mm -hmm. Like you go over DJ Turner's clips from last year and you're just like, everything that happened to DJ Turner that was bad was just, there's one inch that you got and you hit the inch or, you know, you get horribly OPI and they call it on you. Everything he gave up was tight coverage. And you couple that with the freak stuff where it's like, maybe this guy runs a four, three, maybe he's going to set a record. The, <laughs> cone drill at the NFL draft combine, which I don't necessarily think is true, but if it's anywhere near true, like they say that this guy's running step for step with Roman Wilson, we see what Roman Wilson can do. Like, I think people are underrating him badly, except for pro football focus, which has him a third team all American. So those, those were two guys who really just sort of leapt out to me as guys who are already contributors, who I think are already playing at a super high level and still have more upside to explore. So I actually got, I think considerably more optimistic about the defense as I did this process because I think they have two out and out stars and Turner and Mozzie Smith and then I like I like Jenkins I like I like uh, um, Mike Morris I think they have enough to like stick somewhere around where they were last year and that's not having an elite defense but one that's that's very good and you know hopefully you can get Derek Moore coming around by the end of that um this is just a thing for readers in general, but we talk about true freshmen at different positions and, and where they usually succeed and don't, but we don't talk about it too much with edge. And you brought up Derek Moore. What's the MGO blog consensus on true freshmen at edge? Um, I think they can be useful pass rushers, but you don't want them as an every down player. Like if they have it, sometimes they, you, you can just tell immediately. I'm thinking about Josh Uche, Chase mm-hmm. Witovich. And they weren't as effective as they were later in their careers, but you could you could tell. And they were they were productive as as rush specialists. Now they were both those guys redshirted. So like we didn't even get to see them. Those are redshirt freshmen we saw. I mean I I mean we saw Gary as a true freshman. Yeah, but Gary was the number one recruit in the country. Like I mean the only person allowed to like talk about Gary is apparently Seth. So I was talking about Gary, the player we got. But anyway, like, we don't have any good comparisons because, like, Michigan barely ever has started them. Now, other teams I mean, have, but the James thing Hall, I would like, say, what's the last one we had? The, I think I would say about Derek Moore is that he's older than an average freshman. He's huge. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's 280, right? There's no question that he's physically ready. And also, he did enroll early. So, he is a true freshman, but I think that there are a lot of things that you could say, all right, physically, I would not consider him a true freshman. And yeah. he he got a little bit of experience in the, in the spring, really looks the part. Like I yeah, I don't I don't think that he's going to be the starting I mean, guys, it's a it's a 4 3 under, right? Like that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can I mean, talk about whatever it is, but that's what it is. I well, most of the time they're going to they be nickel anyway, so Right, I know, but when when they're in a seven-man front. They have a 292-pound outside linebacker, and then they have a guy who's basically Jake Ryan mm-hmm. or Mario Ojimudia. It's a four-three under. Right. Um, so I felt, yeah, I just felt like he he mitigates a lot of those issues. And then the other guy who I feel similarly about is Mason Graham, who I've been, you know, talking about Mason Graham ever since he was a Boise State commit, but. Just all the things that people say about him in the program, his ascent to a quasi-starting job, 
doesn't bother me as it as much as it would for basically anyone other than Mason Grant because mm-hmm. he crushed it in his senior year of high school. He won't have uh, conditioning issues. He is 317 pounds. Like that's a guy who can cope in year one and then blow up in year two. That's that's my projection for that. Yeah, I think we I mean, I we wanna... see it in spring too. Sorry, go ahead, okay, Alex. Yeah, no, I was just gonna was gonna say, are the consensus reading your piece or what you were saying is that he's probably not going to be out there that much despite being a starter? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you got to look at well, starter who, with quotation. Everyone's right? a yeah, starter. Who the, <laughs> who the teams on the schedule are who are actually going to be running out big old school personnel, and it's only a couple of teams now. Short yardage. I think he's going to get a lot of snaps and short yardage and red zone stuff. Like, yeah, he'll be out there a significant amount. Is he going to be out there 50% of the time? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, I mean, keep, keep this in mind. The first team we're going to face that really is going to put two tight ends out there is Iowa. So we're going to be at Iowa, true freshman, hopefully not a night game. But Iowa's guards are terrible last year. And they have to place Tyler Linderbaum, so I don't know if they've got significantly improved in the interior but you know that could be quite a show if they have not because yeah and like Graham is not a guy who I'm like uh oh what if they reach him you know uh-huh. if Kenneth Grant was in line for a lot of playing time I'd be like oh, I, don't, I don't really like him against his own team Graham is is a guy who I feel can can, can hack it in, in that environment and I don't think he's gonna he, is he gonna get a double all year I, mean, I don't know, but he's, he's gonna he's, he's gonna, gonna be blow. flanked by Mozzie Smith and Morris. Like he's he's gonna blow a fit. I mean, you're a true freshman defensive tackle. Yeah. This is what happens. He's gonna blow a fit. They're gonna stretch him, and he's like Jenkins had a huge one last year too. Like young guy, young tackles screw up. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, that's that's the cost. But like, just in terms of like, is he gonna be a, a big glaring weak spot? I don't I don't think so. I think he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I'm a little bit more optimistic about Jamon Green than you are, Seth. But I, I mean, he sticks with guys, right? He's got right. He's got the ninety percent, but he's a fifth year senior. Like, when does that yeah. come around? Like, I mean, but so okay, Channing Stribling didn't do out. it as a fifth year senior. <laughs> fifth year senior, you really didn't like what he did in zone. He was in a Don Brown defense mm-hmm. for this, so I think that he still has upside to explore in the context of this defense, and. Yeah, the, the Channing Stribling phasing out of reality stuff is a problem. Channing Stribling got over that just to as, a large as, extent. As a junior, not as a fifth year guy. I know. I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying like at some point right. he's gonna be around the receiver and the ball's gonna hit him and it's gonna be okay. Like I just feel like <laughs> it'll be fine. Like Will Johnson is probably gonna pass in midseason. I think he's still gonna get time. Mm-hmm. I think he's still gonna deserve that time. And I think that there is a vague chance he goes in like the seventh round of the draft. That's that's my Jamon Green take. Do you, do you agree that they're going to be doing a lot more man defense this year? I mean, you got Turner and Jamon. You got Turner for a whole season because you only had him half the year last year starting. And Will Johnson comes in like it seems. And that's what the Ravens did, too. So I've been telling people all summer that like this is they're going to do more man. They're not going to be a base man. They're not going to be Don Brown. But yeah, I, I think I think it'll be part of their their repertoire uh, and also like you go over Moten's clips and at no point did Moten get nailed over the top. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he had the one really bad fill against Northwestern, oh, but <laughs> we had, I mean, <laughs> I called it his own personal rum spring, uh, you know, whatever it's uh, 
But other than that, like when people challenged him in ways that would challenge a center fielder, he was there. This didn't happen a ton, but it happened enough that makes me think that if you're going to go cover one, he's a pretty good option to be the one. Yeah. I so I think that it, I think they're going to see more man to man. I think that they're still going to be primarily be a zone team because you have to do that. You have to be crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to be bringing guys from unexpected positions because otherwise RPOs are just going to eat you up all day. Yeah. So you, you just can't, you just can't run a predictable defense anymore. And so I expect that there's going to be a whole lot of different coverages. Maybe they will work in more man because it does make more sense this year, but that's still going to be just one part of a very large toolbox. Can I uh, give a quick special teams uh, thing that my opinion was changed of? Because sure. this was, I you know, I, I wasn't writing the special teams piece, but because Barrett was included in the linebackers, I was just looking at his uh, body of work over his career. I did not realize how many fakes he's pulled off at Michigan. Yeah, yeah. I've got him for three fake punts, two where he took the snap as the up back and just plunged up the middle, one passing it to Dax against Army, and he had the, the pass on the kick uh, l- last year to A.J. Henning. And he had that one, it wasn't a fake, but where he takes the sort of pooch kick against uh, Minnesota and runs for like 60 yards on a return all the way down to like the 10 in the COVID season. Like (laughs) that's five memorable return or, or, you know, fakes or that sort of thing. Like very non-memorable games. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's the thing. Barrett's like special teams uh, heroics are great. And then it's like, which game was that? Oh, yeah, Maryland. Like, who remembers a Maryland game? Well, yeah, and and similarly, you have Cornelius Johnson, who's taken on the uh, Walker thing where he's just the wide receiver who blocks punts. Yeah. So... I think we have to call it the the Kalik Hudson job until somebody else gets anywhere near Kalik Hudson's ability as a punt blocker. But who yeah. was Walker's first name? Uh, Marquise. Marquise. Yeah. Yeah. He he blocked like four or five punts one year. So I think you can you can. Yeah, I I know Marquise I know Walker I know. But I think that we officially handed that over to Kalik because he got to like seven. So. Yeah. Yeah. I. All I, right. Any, do we have do we have any more takes before we? Sign off, guys. What 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 is burning a hole in your chest that you just need to you need to get out there? <laughs> I I don't think we're gonna lose until Columbus. I mean, oh oh boy, <laughs> uh, weird things happen. It's college football. I, mean, I know, last I year, know, I know. Nebraska, Penn State. Nebraska's gonna stuff. Nebraska's gonna be a three point game. That's what Nebraska does. How about you, Brian? Anything burning out of your chest other than your two lane shirt? Burning you out of my chest. Week? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like it'll be a good season. Sounds That's good. weird. All right. Boris is a mayor and a land surveyor with plans of his own. He hates Aruska, he hates a vodka, bandit from his home. He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka, vodka. He never drank a single drop. He hates Aruska.